Hello and welcome to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection. I am your anchor host, Deb Bowen, and I am just so happy to be with you in this Earth Week, uh, Earth Month, Earth Year, Earth Forever, I hope, which is our topic today. I am being uh, honored to spend this hour with you and with my wonderful co-host, Joel Hawkins, who knows more about the rocks and earth than anybody else I know. Welcome, Joel. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always so much fun to spend this time with you. Folks, as you know, if you are a regular listener to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection, we have been focusing our episodes this month on various ways in which we can be better stewards of the planet and what that means to us both physically within ourselves and the world around us and what it means emotionally and spiritually as well. And so Joel and I are going to spend this hour with you um, talking about some some ideas that, that you can do, I can do, Joel can do, we all can do, when we feel helpless and overwhelmed with that so much and the issues are so big and what do we do? You know, Joel, I, I look at those um, photographs of polar bears and I look at melting icebergs and I think, oh, that's a long ways from me and it's way bigger than me. I, I don't even know where to start. And so I think that that's uh, a part of where we're going today. So everybody sit back and relax and enjoy. You might want to have pad and paper and pen handy because uh, we're going to offer you some book suggestions and some ideas of things that we individually can be doing to help ourselves and our wonderful world around us. So Joel, where would you like to start, my dear? Well, gosh, I guess I would like to start by saying you're right. It is big, and it does feel overwhelming. And part of, I think, the intention of this show is is not to any way shame anyone or make them feel like they're not doing enough, but just to encourage them to develop a consciousness and to start approaching things with a consciousness of, of what are the things that I do on a daily basis that impact my planet and my animal spiritual brothers and sisters and my my swimming spiritual brothers and sisters and and how can i lessen that impact and be more in harmony with them and it's things that you can potentially do that don't cost you any money and it all starts by just having a consciousness once you i think once you begin to develop a consciousness of it and you become aware then you begin to change your behavior and act and a lot of that can come with community, and that community can be as simple as doing something with your children if you're a parent and you want to bring your children along on this journey with you is a great idea, or a friend or a coworker. Even if it seems too big to join like a big group, you know, an environmental group locally, which is something that would be great to aspire to, this can always be a self-journey, and it's always more fun if you bring along a family member or a friend with you. So I think to begin with, let's just maybe talk about what we can do together. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and and what what do you have in mind? I mean, share some more ideas with us. Okay, so... In my mind, it's, it always seems far more overwhelming when you're looking at something like you were saying, like the state of the polar bears, and you're, and you're just looking at you. 
and it becomes a little scary. It's like, what can I possibly do to have an impact there? But I think if you if you start educating your children and family members and get someone to come along on that journey with you, it becomes more fun, and you start to create a legacy. The reason I think that I think really what's important for this Earth Day and is their sort of campaign right now to address plastics and plastics. You know, Deb, as, as you and Dale discussed in the water in the water show that's right before this one. When you really look at what we're standing on, only 30% of our planet is soil. 70% of it is water. And, and of that 70%, really 97% of it is salt. That leaves about 3% of fresh water, and only 2% of that is frozen. And so we have about 1% that we can work with. And that's a pretty scary set of statistics when, when you start looking at them. And it, I think it just – that step alone is your first step in consciousness, is just understanding what the big picture is. I know that kind of went all over the place, but this is a topic that just blows my mind. Well, it does, and I think it's and, – and you and I certainly talked in preparation for uh, this episode about how all over the place it is, because it literally is all over the place, it all is. over this planet. You know, it's true. And so when you think about, as you're just mentioning, how little water – we really have access to that is usable water for us. And when we, and, and you and I were talking some statistics, which I know you're going to get to, and you start uh, talking to me about trillions of gallon, gallons, and my eyes glaze over. Because yeah. I don't have any concept of what trillions of gallons means. But I do have a concept of when I'm washing dishes and I, um, because I don't use a dishwasher, uh, so when I'm washing dishes and I'm putting uh, water into a, uh, you know, a tub in my sink, I know how fast that tub fills up as I'm just rinsing dishes. Absolutely. I do have that in my head. I know you live in a state where it's illegal for you to have a rain barrel, which I think is just crazy talk. But what do I know? Uh, and I'm sure that there's some logic behind why that's not okay. Um, but to reclaim that water to ensure that it goes back into the into the water table, uh-huh. because water is so scarce. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I guess you know I also am of an age where where you know we were all going to go back to the earth and be self sufficient and have our own little water supply. Dale talks about that all the time. Is Dale Dale wants to move to a little piece of land with a clear running stream on it that is safe, and that's something that really um, matters a great deal to her. Um, and so, I, but you know, we all don't have that option, and I don't think at this point neither does Dale. But it's a great, it's a lovely idea. But then, what do we do? You know, because everything we do upstream affects somebody downstream. Exactly. So, so you know, I was thinking about just things that that we can do in our world today. And, of course, one of the big pushes right now is the no straw thing. And that's been an an interesting campaign, and I think it's a great idea. And I have become much more conscious of being in a restaurant, for example, and saying no thank you to the straw. Uh, I've done that uh, a lot. 
I carry my own reusable metal uh, container for water with me when I go places. I don't use bottled water. And the water out of my tap is just as safe and perhaps safer to drink than a lot of bottled water. It comes from a fairly large aquifer and not a river that's nearby us that's uh, besieged with pollution from a, uh, a chemical plant upstream. And there's huge litigation going on about that, not 30 miles from where I live. So, you know, it's, it really is all around us, this, this water issue. Tell us some of those statistics that you and I were talking about earlier, about that trillion thing that made my eyes glaze over. Tell people about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay so so again and i can be an alarmist so you know take this with a grain of salt but if you're considering the fact that we're operating on one percent fresh water right of that one percent fresh water if you're which is not frozen on the planet um, so that's even they're going to be in our our rivers our lakes our water tables etc Think about that. 40% of the lakes in just the United States are too polluted for fishing or aquatic life or swimming. Alone, just with the Mississippi River, an estimated 1.5 million metric tons of nitrogen pollution goes into the Gulf of Mexico every year, creating a dead zone, which was, I think, currently the size of New Jersey, or at least in 2014. Each year, 1.2 trillion gallons of untreated sewage, stormwater, and industrial waste are dumped into the United States water. While we only make up, let's see, children make up, what, 10% of the world's population, and I'm just reading some quick handwritten notes here, so I apologize. Over 40% of that global burden of disease falls on them from pollution. More than 3 million children under the age of 5 die annually from environmental factors. Wow. I think when, when you're living in, a, a, theoretically, a civilized country and water is real, readily available to you and pumped into your homes and your waste can be disposed of, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you begin to lose sight of very quickly the impacts to these countries and areas that do not have that advantage. And what's scary is, at least within the United States, I think we are possibly more capable than a lot of other areas to address our waste and, and address our pollution. And that's why it's so important to do so. If you're able, you should. There, there's plenty of areas where these poor people have to walk for miles, mostly women and children, to even find fresh water, and it's their job on a daily basis to bring it back to the household. And they have to scour the landscape for miles to find something that's fresh to drink or that they can use to cook with. Yes, absolutely. And then, of course, there are, um, you know, as you said, all the environmental illnesses that come with that and, and the death rate uh, for malaria, for example, is, yes. is awful because of polluted water and, and, um, and insects that are connected to that. So, um, yes, you know, it was, uh, it was Maya Angelou, I believe, who said, when we know better, we do better. Oh, I love her. And I do too. 
And I think this is one of those times, you know, when we think about that. Um, so I don't, I can't conceive of that trillions of gallons of water thing. But here's what I can relate that to, is you and I grew up in the saltwater low country of the south of this country. And you and I grew up with fathers who fished and clammed and oystered and shrimped and crabbed, and we ate what they caught. And we ate it out of clean water. Yes. Mm -hmm. There were many, many nights that my daddy and I went uh, crabbing or flounder gigging, and we walked. We didn't take the boat. We walked with a lantern uh, along the edge of the, the water. Um, in our sounds and, and saltwater creeks. And we now live in a place where many of those areas where our fathers gathered that seafood are now closed to us because of pollution from so many mo- motorboats and so much pollution upstream. And it breaks my heart. Every fall when it is oyster season, and folks, I love oysters. There's just not enough words to tell you how much I love oysters. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every, every fall when it's oyster season, and I pull out that oyster knife that my daddy gave me the year I was five, and I get ready to pop open an oyster, it breaks my heart that I can't eat it raw. I can't because it's because it's had to have been cooked and cleaned and aerated. The irony of that, that it's no longer safe for me to eat a raw oyster where I live and I grew up eating them all the time. The irony of that is that an oyster aerates and cleans of pollution because the oyster takes the hit for the pollution. 2,500 gallons of water a day. And when they are, it is amazing. And when an oyster is so polluted that it's on overload and it can't do any more, then we've killed the oyster and we've killed the bed. And so, so we, we, we've killed and polluted the very being that saves us from pollution. God, and my heart just my breaks. Head. I know. And my heart just breaks. 2,500 2, gallons of water a day I can relate to. I understand that. I understand what that means in my world. And I think that for a lot of folks, that's what we have to do, is we have to bring this um, gargantuan issue down to something that is relevant and relatable to us in our world. I, oh, I agree 100%. Once it, when it's at your feet and you can assess the world around you and you begin acting locally, just even individually in your home, you don't realize it, but you're impacting things globally. Absolutely. So let me mention a book that, that uh, speaks to that. And it's a wonderful book by Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, she wrote it some years ago. It's not new. Uh, but it's called Animal Vegetable Miracle. And it is uh, not fiction. It is Barbara's account of her and her husband and their two daughters moving back east into the mountains of Virginia from having lived for many years 
out in the desert to her husband's family's home place. And they rebuilt and cleaned up and made livable the old farmhouse. And they made a commitment, the four of them, that with the exception of a very few items, they would grow their own food and or buy it locally. And by locally, I think they said uh, maybe it was a 25-mile radius. It wasn't very big. It was not, um, no. It wasn't a very big radius. And they agreed to try this experiment for a year. And they did. And I think, what was it? I think it was for exception of salt and maybe initially coffee, but I think they moved away from that. I'm not sure. It was only a couple of things that that they um, made exceptions to the to the rule. And I think at Christmas, I think one of the girls wanted an orange. <laughs> you know, I, I, I may I may not have that right, but but in any case, for the most part, they really did this for a year. So whatever they could grow, grow or buy or barter. They did, including uh, chickens and turkeys. And I think yep. her younger daughter, daughter decided she was going to be the chicken mistress. And uh, then there was a whole big thing about the about the turkey. But they, uh, but they did that. And that couldn't have been easy. I I can't imagine it that it would be, um, because I think each of us, you know, I think each of us has our point. Uh, I could probably do okay with local stuff where I live, uh, but uh, about that coffee. Right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, we all have that yeah, but place in our lives, that, that point of saying, well, but then do I buy, you know, sustainably grown, free trade, fair trade, uh, organic coffee or not, you know? Um, so what are we willing to do with our pocketbooks that walks our talk? And then what are we do, willing to, to do just in our everyday lives? And as you and I were preparing for this show, we talked a lot about how it is virtually impossible in today's world not to have plastic. Right. It, it, it's, it's, so, it's frighteningly um, painfully so. And so I think about our co-host, Susan, who is now making her own deodorant, because there's no way to buy deodorant. Even if you go buy organic deodorant, you know, store-bought, it's in a plastic container. It is the most pervasive packing material in the world. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't break. I mean, it breaks down in itself, but it never really goes away. And that's what's so scary about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is just everywhere. And I, I think, um, no, I apologize for interrupting, but I didn't want to get too far away from Barbara before saying this. Um, with the Barbara Kingsolver book, I think for me personally, when you first start reading it, it it's a great, number one, it's a great read. Because it, it's fun to read, you know, to, I think it's always fun to read to what extent people will go and read about their experiences. Because what starts as, good grief, I could never do this, it, when I'm, as the reader, first going into the book, by the end of the book, I'm amazed, and, and I'm holding these people up on a pedestal. It's like, wow, I wish I could be more like that. 
So, but you can just with that little bit of consciousness, and ironically, you are just by gaining that little bit of education on your impact begins to make the difference. Absolutely true. There's a funny scene in the book where a group of school children come out to the farm, and she allows them to uh, pull a carrot out of the ground. And one child holds the carrot up, you know, and, and it's coming out of the dirt and it's dirty. And the child says, oh, it's dirty. <laughs> and the, chi- the children had no idea that carrots grew in the dirt. Yeah. And, you know, didn't know that. So it's amazing what, what we don't think to teach children I, these days, I think, you know. That's why it is fun to, like, bring your children on a journey like this to begin to educate them so that their behaviors become the legacy of what can be done in the future to better care for the earth. And uh, I, I was doing some, some searching this morning and came across this uh, eschooltoday.com website that is actually geared for children. And, it, and, and ironically, I, I really like it. So I think it might be very applicable for me. It's, it's really a great site, and it was started from some folks in Ghana um, and picked up with some assistance from the U.K. It's funded uh, by this one company out of Ghana, I believe. But it is a great website to teach children about uh, their impacts to the planet, recycling, reuse, uh, it, it's it's a great read, and, and I think that's a fun place to help educate children and make it a joint thing. I can imagine it, it would, in a way, to start making them more conscious of the decisions they make when they turn on the sink and let it run while they brush their teeth or warming up the tub water when you could just stick a bucket under there to get the cold water first before the the warm water begins and then at least use that for watering plants or something else but there are ways to begin and it may seem extreme if you have everything at your fingertips if you're in if you're living in a country where your water is piped in and it's clean and it's filtered and it seems endless this may seem extreme, but when you really see where we are universally with our pollution, it's not at all. No, it's, it really is not. You know, you and I were having a discussion uh, about our grocery bags. Yeah. And our reusable grocery bags from, uh, that we take to the grocery store all the time. And I, and I was telling Joel that I have a trick for remembering to get them back to the car. Now, I know the car's a whole other issue, but, um, but they're, they're, here's what I've worked out. Because invariably, when I, when I first made the commitment to use reusable grocery bags, I would bring them in the house, and then I would forget to put them in the car. And so the next time I go to the grocery store, I'd be, oh, darn it, you know, I don't have the bags. Well, so here's what I do. I put my keys on top of them so that the next time I get in the car, regardless of where I'm going, the bags get back in the car with me. That's smart. And, and, yeah, and, and that's, that's gotten me trained. I am trainable, so I do, you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, uh, unless I'm buying uh, something very uh, small or a lot of small things, like, uh, okay, when I go to the grocery store, for example, and I'm going to buy uh, fresh greens, 
and you know they're just in a bin and you just reach your hand in and, and pick them out well what do you do you put them in a plastic bag right right you know well you can get net bags that will work exactly. for that. you know so there are ways to do that there are ways not to use um, plastic wrap in the in your refrigerator you can make these great things now it's all clingy and it's reusable uh, stuff you know so so there are alternatives and yes it may be expensive initially but in the long run you've saved money and and you've also lived consciously exactly and you know what if you can't if, if for some reason suddenly adopting a, a particular behavior seems like it's too much then try to offset your footprint somewhere else um, just as long as you're continually beginning to become aware and conscious of what's going on that helps you're I think I don't think it's I guess I should say it's it's eventually going to be unavoidable that you would take those steps as you become more and more conscious you'll take those steps naturally but don't force yourself in the beginning don't turn yourself off to the process yeah just do one small thing yeah sure just one one small thing matters and and I don't know you know when when I realized that um, and it was it, it took a while for me to get it you know that's uh, not not to get it but to it, it had not been in my consciousness let me rephrase this it had not straws hadn't been in my consciousness they just were they were served you used them that was the end of the you know and when it was brought to consciousness about what we really do to this planet with straws I went oh okay got it all right so how do I avoid using straws in it and so I don't uh, use them in as much as I can right. these days you know and I also live now in an area where there have been lots of conflicts uh, between fishermen and folks trying to save turtles and the plastic that we see uh, in the ocean that you know turtles wrapped in uh, their bodies are deformed because they're wrapped in those rings that soda cans come in you know the, the, the six-pack things uh, whales that just wash up and are dead and they're filled with um, trash you, you know the whole plastic ocean thing the, um, these things just break my heart and and I'm a part of that problem I am also a part of that solution good point you know it, it is heartbreaking it, it and I think sometimes it helps when you extend your perspective to other living creatures such as as the sea life and realize that the impact that we're having on these innocent creatures it kind of begins to put a face on the pollution and the problem and it helps does. You see where you can and, and I think it also gives it a greater sense of urgency yes again it if, does. If, if everything is great in your world and the water's flowing freely and it's filtered and clean and you can use as much as you like you tend to forget the impact that you're having absolutely you know I've said the same sentence I'm getting ready to say on our other shows this month our other episodes as we have talked about uh, environmental issues and, and spirituality and saving the planet but it so bears repeating and it's a line that Julia Butterfly Hill said when she was living in Luna the big um, redwood tree that she helped save yeah uh, remember her um, 
the thing that she said that probably impacted me the most was this sentence. When we throw something away, where is away? Poignant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Makes me cry. Every it, time it I really, think. It's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, that's really the only way to describe it. And, and so much of it can be countered when we just stop and look what we're doing from a sort of a standpoint of convenience. So like you were saying, straws, um, plastic bags, plastic bottles. Oh, my gosh, bottled water is a huge issue. Um, plastic cups, like those solo cups, they're a huge issue. Plastic plates, silverware, and even disposable razors, all those things are, are items of convenience for us. They make traveling, going to work, eating on the go, you know, quick mornings, that sort of thing, really easy. But what's the impact? So I, there's a, a, was a great website called Everything Connects, and, and they're running a big thing against plastic pollution as well, all in alignment with Earth Day. And they have what they call the four R's which is number one is refuse. Um, like you were saying, Deb, just say no to plastic straws. And, and it's the same, say no to any single-use disposable products as much as you can. If you can only use it once, say no. I mean, that should be the big red flag um, when it comes to plastic. And, and where it can't reduce your footprint as much as possible. So, you know, buy in bulk, choose products with the least packaging as possible, at least where you can get by with it. Um, if you can, when you purchase your produce in the grocery store, don't put it in a plastic bag at all. I just put mine right in the cart. I do too, um, I except for that. Like I, I don't either, like I said, except for like leafy things or, you know, and then I have little net bags that I use. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Then you can also um, reuse. That would be the third R. Um, so preferably get, you know, non-toxic stuff such as glass or steel containers, stuff like that, use that for your storage wherever possible, and especially before you recycle them. And then, of course, recycle would be your fourth R. So you've got refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle. And I think those are easy four reminders, the fifth R, um, when you're shopping and going through your daily life on how you can possibly have an impact that's a positive one. True. Um, we are almost at the halfway mark here, Joel, so I want to stop and tell folks who we are and what in the world they're listening to, and then we'll move on to some other ideas and other book suggestions. Folks, you are listening to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection podcast. I am your anchor host, Deb Bowen. My co-host this week is Joel Hawkins, who is a crystallologist and um, one of the coolest people on the planet who loves Mother Earth better than just about anybody I know because he loves all her colored rocks. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm happy to have Joel with me. Uh, folks, you can hear us every week. We, we bring you a new episode every week on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on Blog Talk Radio. You can also hear us on iTunes and on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. We have an iTunes uh, you know, you can hear all of our archive traditions there. You can connect with us on Facebook, on my website, debbowen.com, and you can email us at debbowenandfriends at gmail.com. Uh, there are eight of us who co-host this podcast, and we all come from varying belief systems, uh, varying 
psychic and spiritual practices and we bring you a wide variety of topics and ideas to enlighten and enhance our lives and our connection with ourselves as humans and all of our uh, four-legged, winged, swimming, crawling, and standing community, as well as Mother Earth herself. So we are just so happy that you are joining us as we move through our discussion about uh, taking care of the planet this month. In May, we'll be moving on to another series of topics, but uh, we're so glad that you are here a part of Quest for Connection. So thank you so very much for that. Joel, I loved your five R's. Uh, I, I love that. And I love, and this is an old phrase. I mean, golly, it was probably part of the very first Earth Day movement back in the 70s, which was act locally, think globally. Yes. You know, and when I think of, uh, and we'll keep coming back to ideas over the next half of our time together, uh, as we uh, as we talk about acting locally, but I also think it's really important to act globally. And one of the books that has most impacted my global thinking is a book by Jean Shinoda Bolin, and that's uh, her last name is B O L E N. Well, I'll put these book titles and some of these suggestions on our Facebook page for folks. But Jean wrote a book some years ago called Urgent Message from Mother. Gather the women, save the world. And Jean believes, uh, Jean's very active in, uh, I shouldn't call her that, she's Dr. Bolin. Uh, she is very active in the United Nations um, women's rights movement. There's a lot of work being done at the UN on, on issues for women around the world, particularly in developing countries. And so her work with this book is a blending of working with women and empowering women and saving the planet and working for the environment. And it's a lovely concept. She's created a program called The Millionth Circle. And the idea is sort of like, um, what was that book a long time ago, The Hundredth Monkey? Um, remember where eventually if enough people started doing something, then everybody would begin to do it? Yes. So, so Dr. Bowen has created this uh, lovely concept called the Millionth Circle. And the idea is that if you get enough folks working in groups, small groups, with each other, they can affect large-scale change around the planet. And, and that's the concept behind this book, is that really we can begin to do these things together to bring um, rights and harmony and peace and environmental security to the world. So Urgent Message from Mother, Gather the Women, Save the World is another book that uh, I certainly recommend as we are talking about this topic of being aware. I, you know, I, I used to um, do this thing when I taught, when I was a teacher uh, in a traditional sense, and uh, I would walk into class with a plastic soda bottle. And I would hold the plastic bottle up into the air and I would say, does it matter to someone in, oh, say, Tibet, whether or not I recycle this bottle? 
And some students would say, yes, absolutely. Others would say, where's Tibet? <laughs> Others would say, I'm serious. Others would say, nah, you know, one little bottle doesn't matter. And I would use that example as a launching point for a cybernetics uh, concept called systems theory, that indeed we are all related. And for me, that is a very spiritual concept, but it is also a very real concept from uh, the internal workings of my, the systems in my body to my connection to larger and larger and larger systems around me. And when we can think systemically, when we can remember that there is a deep and abiding connection that holds all of us together in a, I don't want to use the word symbiotic, but, but it really is a symbiosis. It is, sure. That's a uh-huh. uh, of, of need and, and supply and caring for each other. So it really does matter what we do. And here's, here's an example of where I'm going with that. I was listening to a report on National Public Radio the other day where they were talking about the issues regarding recycling. Uh, the point being, if we didn't use it in the first place, we wouldn't have to recycle it. But um, there, there seems to be in places uh, around the country, in America, ways in, uh, to recycle plastic or aluminum. But one of the issues has been that there's less and less availability of ways to recycle glass. And I didn't really? know that. Did you know? I didn't mm-hmm. either. Yeah, I didn't either. There are places that just won't take glass because there's no money in it to recycle it. And there are less and less facilities available to to recycle it. I had no I idea. I didn't either. Well, and, and even from a recycling standpoint, the goal really is to get away from products that would even need to be recycled, if at all possible, especially when it comes to plastic. And, and the reason is, is plastic isn't truly, truly recycled. It's just downcycled, if you will. So, you know, it can be shipped overseas, it can be burned, and that causes toxic emissions. So the less we can use it, if we begin to change our behavior and get away from these products or these types of packaging wherever possible, I mean, even if you can't get rid of everything, maybe you don't want to make your own deodorant and you still have to get that in the plastic container, try to offset that footprint somewhere else. You know, mm, bargain mm-hmm. with yourself if necessary. Plastic is horrific. It, it is... Um, I'll read you some some pretty startling facts here. Um, And again, this came from um, everythingconnects.org, which is really just a great site. But 90% of all the trash floating in our ocean is plastic. At present, well, I started to say in 1999, there was a 46 to 1 plastic to plankton ratio. Is that not scary? Yes. There are now 46,000 pieces of plastic per square kilometer of the world's oceans, killing millions of seabirds and 100,000 marine animals each year. That's horrific. Yeah, it is. And what's worse is as it breaks down into these little itty-bitty pieces that never really go away. So it just keeps breaking down. You know, one large sheet of plastic breaks down into hundreds of thousands of 
itty bitty microscopic pieces of plastic that then basically become a sponge for other contaminants such as pesticides. So the plastics themselves just become these toxic sponges. Yes, true. You know, I don't ever walk on the beach without taking some kind of a uh, container to pick up trash, plastic trash on the beach, fishing line, um, you know, whatever. We but, do the same in my neighborhood. Um, if, if I go for a walk in my neighborhood, I grab a plastic bla- a bag, and you'll see a lot of folks who will just be walking around with a plastic bag, and as they walk, they'll just pick up anything from cigarette butts to water bottles to anything like that. I've even seen people use, we have these dispensers throughout the green belts of the neighborhood with the little um, doggy bags, the waste bags. And I've seen people even collect trash in those just to kind of make it an effort that if they're out, pick up. It's kind of a consciousness within the neighborhood. But stop. Because you just said something really important. And this is about that conscious living. You take a plastic bag to pick up plastic. These plastic bags are the kind that break down. So the ones that are used in our, our neighborhood are the kind that break down. They're, um, the waste bags are, they're, I think they're made of like a corn product, uh-huh. and they break down. But if you just carry a bag to pick up stuff, you've, you're making an effort with at least where you are. Exactly, exactly. But again, it's that consciousness of a, a, we have a wonderful restaurant where I live that um, if you order something to go or you um, order a drink in, in a, a, a to-go drink, it's in one of those corn-based containers. Yeah, I they use do, the corn-based litter bags for my cat to scoop litter out of the litter box, and I use um, a 100% wheat-based litter that's flushable and non-toxic. So it's, it costs a little more, but if you read the back, and, and it, it shocked me at first, but if you read the back of a cat litter bag and you start looking at the various ingredients that are in there and you look at the warnings that tell you that you shouldn't allow that litter to hit the ground, that you shouldn't dispose of it just by dumping it in the ground, that's a pretty scary thing. And there are, there's even alternatives with your cat litter. To, to Not only that, it's, a, it's much better for your poor cat. Um, licking their paws and stuff and such as they come out of a litter box, it, using some of these clay-based litters with chemicals in them to make them clump and not smell is really quite toxic over a period of time for your animal and for the soil. So as that litter gets dumped into landfills, it's actually full of chemicals. So I use the corn-based litter scoop bags, and I use a a 100% wheat-based litter called Sweet Scoop. That I know your kitty just loves. The funny thing is, is um, because it's a wheat-based litter, my vet was sharing with me that they actually had a diabetic cat that would try to eat the litter. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how funny! Uh, But I I mean, you know, I understand that for folks who are diabetic. Uh, So it's really, you know, and and yes, I mean, we're certainly focusing on on plastics in our conversation today. And there's so much more. 
uh, you, you and I were also talking in preparation for today about our driving habits. And, and folks, I live um, in a place where there's some services that just aren't here. And so it's about uh, a 60-mile round trip for me to go into another town to, to get some of the things sometimes I need. I don't ever make that trek for just one thing. I, it's things, everything gets saved up, you know, so that I spend a, a day running errands in that town. And I do something that as a child I used to laugh at my father about. And now I understand how really valuable and ahead of his time he was. I only make right-hand turns. It saves time. So I plan out my route. I make right-hand turns. It saves time. It saves gas. Um, it's efficient, you know, it, 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 it's a really good plan for me. It works really well. Um, and I think that that's just another tiny little thing that I can do about living and driving consciously. Because I live in a place where I don't, uh, there is no public transportation. Uh, so that's about the best I can do some days. Thoughts on that, Joe? Well, I kind of... Wherever possible, I follow the same sequence of making all right-hand turns. And part of that is economical. The other part is aggravation. So I have to admit that selfishly, some of it is just convenience because traffic freaks me out after a very short period of time, um, right. especially when it gets congested. <laughs> so, so there's a method to my madness, if you will. Um, right. But, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I try to... Again, if you can just offset that footprint one wherever possible, I try to combine trips to minimize being in the car and to minimize being out in traffic. Again, most of it is my own selfishness because I despise traffic so much. But I do try to do that, and it does make a difference overall. So that, that's an example of where convenience is really beneficial. Yes, true, true. And again, it's that living consciously. Um, you know, another thing that I've become very aware of, and this is, again, one of those things that the media is actually quite helpful about, is, is what happens when we buy new clothes and wash them and those fibers from uh, new clothes and, and whatever. Even if it's organic fibers, it goes into uh, the water supply and our fish eat them and then we eat the fish and... Here we go, you know. Exactly. Um, you know, so shopping at thrift stores is also a good plan as much as you can. Reuse is a great idea wherever mm -hmm. possible. And Deb, mm -hmm. as you know, especially with me, when it, it's like reuse of reused furniture. <laughs> I am <laughs> of reused furniture. Oh, I, I will not, with exception to my mattress, that I sleep on, I will not buy brand new furniture. Everything either comes from a thrift store or a consignment shop or some variation of, or it was a display model somewhere for so long that it, they can't even sell it anymore. So yeah, I try to reuse anything within my house wherever possible. I always would prefer to give something another home. I, I had a, a, little, a little gathering the other night for uh, some neighbors who had not been in my house before and uh, so I was showing them around. They wanted to see what it was like in my house. And <clears throat> so when we got to my bedroom, the, the woman said, 
you've got some really old furniture. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. And I've had this old furniture for a long time because I'm really old. And, and she laughed, and I thought, yeah, and it's okay that I got this old furniture. And I've had it for a long time. <laughs> it, folks, in, in the world in which I live, not a lot of folks have old wooden furniture in their house. And I do because that's what I've got. And it's been here for a long time, and I don't, I like it. It works, and I don't see any need in moving on. Uh, so, again, it's one of those things of not moving with the trends, you know, particularly uh, with new furniture. I just, I just don't do it. It's kind of okay where it is. So, and we also have this great thing where I live where once or twice a year you can throw out stuff because it's a tourist town. So you can throw out stuff that uh, you're kind of tired of or people don't want. And uh, So my friend and I took the truck last week, and I have new patio furniture that I got off the side of the road. And I'm real happy with that. Absolutely. Junk, junk, what do we call it? Junkernecking. As opposed to rubbernecking, it's called junkernecking. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great phrase? So, <laughs> so yeah, I, you know a little paint on it and I'm a happy girl with my new furniture on my deck so uh, there we go Um, you know one of our biggest offenders when it comes to pollution is our trash to consider that maybe separate from our garbage if you will so if you kind of begin to segregate what you dispose of and what it really is some of it is just a byproduct of living right what's left over from what we eat there's some of our garbage we can actually compost and and do some pretty amazing things with. Uh, I think a good deal of our problem stems back to our position in the world as just a mass consumer society. And, and the more that we consume, then the more trash we have because we, we often unload in order to bring in something new or something different. And, and I think that's often where we, we forget that we can either reuse it ourselves and not buy something new and repurpose something or we could pass it along for someone else to repurpose as opposed to putting it in a landfill which is uh, what my neighbors did and i benefited (laughs) exactly exactly it works out really well um there there was a local company here and i think they're national but i've used them it's 1-800-JUNK and when I had to clean out my garage, there was just some stuff I was really concerned about. And one of the things that encouraged me to use 1-800-JUNK was because they do such an effort to reclaim as much as possible to prevent it from going in a landfill. And so if, as they take stuff away from people's houses, it's actually taken to warehouses and sorted. And some of it may go to places for donations to raise money. It may go to shelters. I mean, they'll do everything they can to prevent it from going into a landfill. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's really a nice sort of, at least it's a very conscious business. True. Yeah, absolutely. I think think it's nice to to know that there are folks out there because it's some things when it's, it's really difficult to have needed or used and then what do you do with it that's an environmentally conscious thing to do because you, you, you don't need it anymore, you know, that sort of thing. I will tell you that I did have some chairs on my deck that I wasn't really fond of. 
they were okay, but I wasn't fond of them. So when I got this set from somebody else's yard, I put my old cha- my chairs, which were identical except in a different color, to the chairs I got out on the road, and somebody picked up my chairs and took them away that they needed them. Right. And that worked. That worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So there we go. Joel, I think we would be remiss if we did not talk about the book that started it all, the woman whose work gave us so much to think about so many years ago and how incredibly relevant this book and some of her other work is as well. So talk about Silent Spring and Rachel Carson. Yeah, St. Rachel. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, believe it or not, that's how she's often referred to in a lot of circles is St. Rachel. And the reason she is, is, and I was reading this in an article in the New York Times, is that maybe with exception to Henry David Thoreau, there has not been a single individual who has raised a greater level of consciousness about the ecology movement and the environmental movement than Rachel Carson, and most certainly as a result of Silent Spring. She really was um, way ahead of her time in in her thinking about the environment. Of course, Silent Spring uh, was her treatises on DDT and a lot of other topics as well, but but DDT was her big focus in in Silent Spring, and and as most folks know, of course, uh, it was resulted in DDT being banned. Where we live, we had virtually decimated the brown pelican population with our spraying of DDT, and after DDT was banned, uh, a colony of pelicans, a very small colony of uh, pelicans started a rookery on an island, a spoils island actually, in the intercoastal waterway. And today the brown pelican has recovered where we live. And I, and every time I see a pelican, I say thank you to Rachel Carson. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the amazing <laughs> perspectives that she provided, and, and I think it's still very applicable today, is... In a lot of cases, if you can't put the emotional aspect of what we may be doing to the planet, she couched it in a way of, look what you're doing to yourselves. Here is how you are ultimately contaminating the food chain that will come back to you. So she, she showed an impact that hit home to people because suddenly they realized that everything that was occurring with DDT and the other pesticides being used and being introduced in the food chain, being absorbed by plants, consumed by animals, and ultimately consumed by us, that we were effectively poisoning ourselves. Yes. Factually. Uh, it, absolutely, right. And and I think, I think her method of bringing all of this home to us individually, is still a valid method. It's part of what we're trying to do in this hour, is to bring it home to us. You know, when it begins to to matter to us individually, I think that's when we begin to 
do something different. Her lovely book, um, oh, wait, help me with the name of it. It's just gone out of my head. The Sea Around Us? Oh, The Sea Around Us, yes. Oh, how beautiful it is. The, the, it, she did a beautiful job of bringing lovely literature and a, and a vital cause together in a way that made us all take a deep breath and say, oh, wow, this is, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful planet, and we are going to lose it if we don't do something. Absolutely. About this. Yeah. She did. I think it was one. I mean, it, it was a huge, and it, you got to think what was that, 51 or 52, somewhere around there with the sea around us. And the American public was amazed. Suddenly they were taking an interest in the planet and the oceans in a way they never had before because it was brought down to sort of a layman's terms to where they could really understand the beauty of what was around them where they yes. couldn't before. They could enjoy it, but they really didn't understand it. And I think she did an amazing job with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anybody else, certainly not back then, uh, maybe, until, maybe until Finding Nemo, did, did anybody really do as well as she did at looking at the world from a fish's perspective? Yeah. What is it like to live there, really, in that wonderful world? You know, I, I remember, and you do too, the day that I was walking past a record store in Washington, D.C., and there was the Songs of the Humpback Whale album in the window. And I went in and bought it and brought it home. And that piece of vinyl was one of the things that most changed my life, was listening to those songs, you know. I still uh, have that, but in CD form. Right. <laughs> I later I got have. it on disc, but I still have that, and I still do listen to it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't have the vinyl anymore either. It's, it's been moved on to a friend, but I do listen to it as well. And, uh, to, and, and I, think, I think that's another piece of the consciousness that we were talking about. And golly, we've only got about three minutes, two minutes. Uh, but that's another piece of the consciousness is being able to see and think about and care about the planet, not only from our own perspective, but from the beings with whom we share this planet. And if we could end on that note, um, I think I hope that would be helpful to people. Parting words from you, dear heart, as we begin to close out. Uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Realize that everything you do makes a difference and just start with intent and education. There you go. There you go. So happy Earth Day week to everybody. Thank you so very, very much for being a part of Deb and Friends Quest for Connection. I am your anchor host, Deb Bowen, and you have been listening to my wonderful friend Joel Hawkins and I talk about everything that we can do uh, in one hour to save the planet. So there we go. Listen to us on Blog Talk Radio, on iTunes, on our YouTube channel. Connect with us on Facebook and on my website, debbowen.com. And in the meantime... Thank you so much for being with us, and keep questing. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.